Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. About 500 AD, um, a a, a whole load of clever Christians got together and they decided what were the basic foundational truths that all Christians should believe. And nearly all Christian churches embrace those creeds. So it's a good starting point. Um, And we are going to, this month, we're going to... We're going to attempt the impossible. We're going to attempt to tell you about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us grace, (laughs) because this is an impossible job. But who knows what will happen. So my pleasure, uh, oh and yeah, after after that, after those two months, we're going to be then going through Mark's Gospel, probably one chapter a week. So we've been going through more normal, looking at a Bible passage and, 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 and explaining what's in it and challenging us from that. So these are more sort of um, theme-type preaches. Um, I have got one scripture to sort of hang this on, but it is more of a sort of a theme of the whole Bible. And I'm going to try and speak to you about God the Father. Father, you are a magnificent, awesome God. You made all things. You're eternal, you're infinite, you're huge. God, we have the privilege of sort of knowing you. We don't really know you, but we we touch the outskirt of your ways, Lord. We touch just the edges, the fringes, we get glimpses, Lord, and I pray, give me grace this morning to to share some of the glimpses of you I've seen and know in my life. And I pray for those glimpses to find a resting place in our imaginations and our minds and our hearts this morning, that we might be different people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm really talking about knowing God. Now... I don't know why you read your Bible, those of you who read the Bible, I don't know why you read the Bible. One of the things I learned early on as a Christian was that the most important reason I read the Bible is to know God, to find out what God's like, because that actually is the the heart of everything in the Christian life. Everything flows out of your knowledge of God. If you've got a wrong view of God, everything else will go wrong. But if you've got a right view of God, everything else will tend to flow right. As I was reading the Bible, when I was quite a young Christian, I I came across verses like this. The high, this is Isaiah, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Just pause for a moment and let those words just ripple through your mind. The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. That is a big God. Or earlier in Isaiah, I read this verse. My eyes shall see the king in his beauty, a land that stretches afar. No horizons with God, no limits. You can't box him in. You can't uh, put a line around how he is. He's limitless. He's huge. He's like a land that stretches afar. That's the God that I want to talk to you about today. So let's 
Um, let's have a look at the Nicene Creed. Let's start with the Nicene Creed. The first bit of this, this is where I started. I believe, or we believe, in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. The phrase that struck me in that is the Father Almighty. I think the church fathers obviously got something there, or they thought there was something very important to put in, that it's, it's not quite, well, it's not adequate to just talk about God as Father. He's Father Almighty. And here's a scripture to, um, the, I could go to many parts of the Bible to, um, to um, make this point, but Romans 11, verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Now, this is a passage where Paul is talking about Israel. He's reflecting on the fact that Israel has fallen away from God and has been cut off from God, and God has then brought in the Gentiles to be his people. I mean, there's lots of stuff in that I can't go into. But I just want to note that phrase. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. That's what I want to talk about this morning. God Almighty. Now the word, if you talked about the Father, if you talked about the Father, as Jesus did, to the Jews of his day, they had a reaction. They had a strong reaction, actually, a very strong reaction. You see, the Jews of Jesus' day knew that God was huge. They knew he was distant. They knew that he was holy, he was righteous, he was a judge, he was a rule giver. And they were in awe of God. And so they piled on the judgment of God. God is a judge. God is righteous. And if you take an extreme version of that, God is a hard man, reaping where he does not sow. And what tends to happen is with the Jews of Jesus' day, you'll find it very clearly, is they minimize the mercy of God. They thought these two things were opposed. So the more you concentrate, or more, the more they concentrated on the judgment act, uh, activity of God, the less they concentrated on the mercy of God. And the result of that was, when Jesus said, my father is still working and I am working, it was then that the Jews started to want to kill Jesus. That was their reaction. Because they thought, as soon as Jesus said, called God his father, they were bringing God down to their level. They were saying he was equal with God. They were accusing him of blasphemy. Now, none of us are going to make that mistake, are we? <laughs> none of us in our day, we know God through Jesus Christ, don't we? Or do we? You see, I would suggest to you that 21st century Western Christians make exactly the mm. opposite mistake. We so overemphasize the love of God, we so emphasize the mercy of God, God's kind, he's gracious, he's forgiving. But we find it really hard to remember that God is a God of judgment. Mm -hmm. So as you're reading your Bible, 
you, you come across Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying things like, fear God who has power to cast body, to destroy body and soul in hell. You skipped over that, didn't you, when you read that? <laughs> if you read it, you whizzed on to some other bit. Or you're reading through Acts and you're really loving the, loving the activities of the Holy Spirit and the power of God moving. And then you suddenly find two guys called Ananias and Sapphira, Christians, come in and the Holy Spirit kills them in front of the church. That is embarrassing. That is really embarrassing. Why did God put that in the Bible? Surely he's a God of mercy and grace and kindness. He's going to forgive us. And we make the same mistake as the Jews of Jesus' day, but the opposite mistake. We so overemphasize the, the mercy of God that we minimize that God is also a God of judgment. So what is the answer to this? Do we sort of... Do we sort of tone down both aspects of God? Do we sort of find a lovely balanced middle way? No, I'm not advocating that at all. You see, I would suggest to you that actually we need to be extreme on both sides because these are not opposites. In the wonderful character of God, they are held together in perfect harmony and beauty. There's a word in the Bible which is very hard to understand and very hard to translate, which is holy. God is a holy God. Now, it's very hard to understand exactly what that means, and lots of people have different ideas about it. it. It certainly means sort of different, separate, apart. It can be used in a moral sense. God is holy. He's different from us in his, his purity as against our sinfulness. Yes, it's all of that. One of, the, one of the definitions of holy is thrown beyond. So God is a holy God. All of his attributes are thrown beyond what we could ever imagine. So I would suggest to you, you need to totally accept that God is a God of judgment, of justice, of righteousness, and he's also a magnificent God of mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And you see, when you see those things together, it makes sense. Because the reason why some of you are not particularly excited about the mercy of God, because you don't realise the danger that you're in. You don't realise the awesome power and wrath of God. His hatred of sin. And if you haven't seen that, you won't understand what it is to have God have mercy on you. God is not like a sort of a Jekyll and Hyde God. He's not like he, when he's on a bad day, he, he zaps people, and then on a good day, oh, he's kind and lovely. No, no, he's not like that. These things in God's character are in perfect harmony. This is the beautiful thing about God. He's just and merciful. He's far off and near. He's awesome and he's gentle. These amazing contrasts in the character of God make him the beautiful person he is. And how is this possible? How can God be utterly just and punish all sin and be utterly merciful and forgive us for whatever we've done? How is that possible? Impossible because Jesus the Son came to die on a cross 
Amen. I think the best thing I can do to, to, for that is to just read these words from, also from the prophet Isaiah. These prophetic words, hundreds of years before Jesus died. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and his, with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid, laid on him the iniquity of us all. The cross demonstrates that God is utterly, utterly against sin. It's not a trivial thing. It is utterly abhorrent to the heart of God to see people like us messing up our lives and messing up other people's lives. That's why he's so angry and so, so hurt by it and so <laughs> utterly opposed to it. He sees the damage it does and he's utterly against sin. And he's utterly for us and loving for us, loving us. And those two amazing things meet together at the cross the awful wrath of God poured out on Jesus because of my sin. And the awful, awesome mercy of God poured out on the cross. God sending his own son to die in my place. What a gospel. What a saviour. What mercy. Let me just bring this down to earth in a few sort of specific things that maybe lodge in your situation. Maybe you can, you, maybe your attitude is something like this. Jesus died for my sins on the cross, so it doesn't matter what I do, I'm covered already. I'm forgiven. Jesus has paid the price for all my sins, so I'm okay, I can just live the way I want to. That is treating Christianity as a sort of life insurance policy. You've got the ticket, and therefore you're safe. That's nothing to do with Christianity. That's, that's well, I know what that is. Here's another one. God's my friend. He knows my weaknesses. He's my mate. He loves me just as I am. Yes, all of that. But God doesn't want you to stay the way you are. The invasion of the gospel into our lives is to change us. To break the power of sin. To stop us sinning. To change our characters, our behaviour. To sweep us into the mighty purposes of God. Grace is not sort of a covering over your life that just makes things right. Grace is a power, a supernatural power that grips hold of you and makes you a new person. Teenagers. God has high plans for you. High plans for you. I don't know what your dreams are. I don't know where you think you're going. I don't know where, where you think you, you think, what's, what's my life going to be like? Where am I going to end up? What am I going to do? God's got great plans for you. Far higher than you can think of at the moment. I urge you to get hold of this God. 
If you don't know him personally, I'm going to explain to you how, how that happened today. But the main thing to say is, God, when I was, when we were, my wife and I went on holiday to Switzerland. For the first time we'd ever been in Switzerland, we went to Lausanne, and we went to our friend's house, and they put us in the guest room, which was on the third floor of this house. They took us up to the, to, to the guest room, and there were the windows, and they said, this, there's a fantastic view up from these windows over Lac Le Mans, and beyond that, the mighty Alps, the mountains, the Alps. Never seen them before in my life. The only snag was, it was really misty. <laughs> And we couldn't really see a thing. <laughs> Every day, for about three days, I looked out the window and I peeked in the mist and I thought, yes, I think I can just about make out a mountain there. Yeah, I think that's about it. Three days later, the mist cleared. I looked out the window. The mountains were up there. They weren't there. They were up there. God has a high calling on our lives. He's commanded his precepts to be kept exceedingly much, exceedingly much awesome. He's got great plans for you to live a holy, godly life, yes. to impact your community. Teenagers, you live in a generation that is going astray. It's confused. Most of them are fatherless. They're lost. They're drifting one way or another. You are to be lights in your generation. You are to be making a difference. That's what God's call to you is. So I'd just like to explain to you, if you think of God like that, let's just think of what the gospel is. What is the gospel? How do you become a Christian? This is ABC. It's really simple stuff. Or is it simple stuff? No, it's not simple stuff, actually. Very profound stuff. The first thing the past part of admit that A is admit. There's something to admit. Now, when you see, when you start to glimpse God's standards, his hugeness, his vastness, you start to realize how small you are and how utterly different you are from God and how utterly shut off you are from God. That's, that's called sin, this problem that's in us. And when you confess that you're a sinner, you admit I'm a sinner, you're saying basically, there's no way I can earn my way to God. There's no amount of Bible reading, going to church, trying to be better. It's all useless. It's not going to get there. It's not going to get you there. Because God's, stand, God's mountain is way up there. The best you can do is climb the foothills. It's not going to get you to the summit. And so you give up. You admit that you're lost. You admit that there's no hope for you in this world unless God does a miracle in your life. That's the first step to becoming a Christian. It's admitting that you are lost unless God does something. And then, so that's that. That's that bit. You admit that God's standards are so high you'll never reach them. You'll never match up to his standard. You'll never reach his perfections. Then you believe, B, A is admit, B is believe, you believe that God's mercy is bigger than his judgment. And although you're shut out as a sinner, although you're condemned as a sinner, God's mercy trumps that. And Jesus died for everything you did and everything you will ever do on the cross. He's paid the price for it, and what you have to do is lay hold of it. Believing is not a passive thing. 
It's not something you just say out of your mind or your mouth. It's something you lay hold of. You cry out for him, God, have mercy on me. I'm lost unless you help me. I'm lost unless you forgive me. Lord, I'm dead unless you make me alive. I need resurrection, Lord. I don't need a sticking plaster. I don't need some medicine. I need to raise from the dead. Help me, God. That's what believing is. And then you commit. See, commit. You commit yourself to serving and loving God for the rest of your life. That is all in. You're all in because you've seen without God you're lost. And yet with him you're found. And you, you find a beautiful saviour who's going to be with you for the rest of your life. And you say, I'm all in, Jesus. I want you. I need you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to do your will. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. That is what becoming a Christian is. And that's what being a Christian is. Because effectively we all need to do that on a daily basis. Admit, I'm lost without you, God. Unless you come and help me today, I'm useless. And you believe the mercy of God, you revel in it. You accept that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Hallelujah! And you throw yourself into the purpose of God. You abandon yourself to the purpose of God. You say, Spirit of God, take hold of my life. Make something beautiful out of the wreck that's me. Oh, Father, you are an awesome God. You are an awesome God. And you are a loving God. You're a merciful God. Spirit of God, send the fire this morning, I pray, into every heart of every life, every family here in this place today. Send the fire, Lord, the fire of life, the fire of cleanness, the fire of wholeness. Fire of your presence. Make us different people, Lord. Change our destinies. Change the destinies of our family, our children, our neighbours, our colleagues, our neighbourhoods, our streets, North Birmingham, Birmingham, our nation. God, send the fire. Amen.